This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Oh, hell yeah! Welcome, everyone, to the Must Listen to Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. And it is so good to be with you on this Saturday morning. Number one, because of the fact that, hey, I'm blessed, B-L-E-S-S-E-D, baby, to be here with you live, as always, inside the Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! We are looking good, and we are coming to you live as always, and of course, it's yours truly. Yo, it's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD, and I am just absolutely over the moon to be here with you. And now, that intro just got me hyped up beyond belief. It's a brand new intro. Definitely some old stuff, but definitely a little bit of a new vibe. And I love the fact that we have Wildside, Motley Crew to lead in with. It just gets me. In a certain mood, a little hair metal to start your Saturday morning. There ain't no better way to start it. When last year I spent more money on spilt liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kid stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, Son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! I mean, I'm just in a damn good mood right now here. That intro, I actually got a chance to hear it well before we went on air. But hearing it live, it just hits a little bit differently, and it's got me in a really good mood. So hopefully you out there, you're having a good time. You're enjoying yourself on this Saturday morning, and we've got a great show for you today. Because guess what? We'll be more draft-focused this week. We won't necessarily talk about all the other stuff going on in the world. But I am going to start off talking about something that's going on and could be happening in the not-too-distant future when it comes to college football and possibly moving over to the spring. And when you think about it, the world of college athletics, as we know it, is going to be going through a bit of a metamorphosis that will likely see a lot of the programs Come to a sudden end. Look at LSU, for instance. I mean, use them as a barometer because of the fact that they've that they're one of the big money drawers. I mean, you look at what they were able to do just this past like couple of years ago. They were like really, really good, making big money primarily through your football program. Not the other programs operated a loss. So you got to think about it. If you see college football not exist in the form we're all used to, where it goes down in the fall, and we see a lot of question marks, what's going to happen with the future of 
cadence with LSU football or LSU sports that aren't football, basketball, baseball, softball. What's going to happen there? Track and field. I think the list can go on and on and on. What's going to happen with those programs? I got to say right here, right now, the biggest question is, yeah, think about it. Beach volleyball. They're they're a pretty good program at LSU, but they're not going to be sustainable. Those are going to be the ones that kind of get the ax. Soccer over in Cincinnati got axed. Baylor got rid of wrestling. Trust me, you won't see that in Minnesota. It's all about kind of it'll vary from program to program, region to region. A lot of the SEC teams, they'll keep their baseball programs because those will still draw a decent amount of money, but nowhere near the amount you would need to kind of recoup what you're going to lose if you're a college football, if you have college football, and a lot of money is on the line, especially for a lot of the Power 5 programs, where if it doesn't come from college football, it could be a downfall for a lot of schools, and especially when you look at the group of five programs, and the Cajuns could be one of them. It seems like a long shot right here, right now, to say that the, that the Cajuns athletic program could be in shambles if college football doesn't happen, because I think the fact you have RCAF in there, that kind of softens the blow ever so slightly. And I say ever so slightly because, of course, the economy is going to be down for a bit here, especially if the if the oil and gas industry doesn't kind of pick back up in the not-too-distant future. But I think that's going to wind up picking up sooner rather than later. We'll see the prices go back up to a reasonable amount right now. I believe it was like – I believe I went to the gas station the other day and it was like $1.50. I was like, what is going on here? It was about 35 bucks to put my put like 20 gallons in my truck. On, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, I was like, what is going on here? But that's kind of what happens whenever you've got COVID-19 stopping a lot of travel and also the OPEC thing. But again, they wound up getting a deal together. So that could be something that's going to boost the economy up, especially here where we weren't necessarily hit hard by that recession in 08. But we were hit a little bit harder, say, 2014, 2015, whenever the oil and gas industry kind of went a little bit below what you'd ex- below what numbers we normally see. And again, thankfully back in 08, that was whenever you had like the oil drilling would go crazy during that time frame and you saw prices just go up to about 3-4 a gallon back in those days, but it's definitely going to be something to kind of talk about going forward when it comes to the economy and how RCAF is related, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But there was one solution that at least perked me up earlier this week, and I think you've heard about it. Brett McMurphy of Stadium mentioned that a G5 president mentioned to another G5 president. I love how there's no names involved in this, no names attached. But I like the fact that there's at least some conversation at this point in time about possibly tabling the 2020 season and move it over to the spring, basically bump everything over to the spring. That opens up a whole other can of room worms, and I've got some thoughts on it. When it comes to scheduling the other sports seasons, March Madness can't be overshadowed by college football, and there's no way the College World Series stretches into July, right? I think there's a lot of different questions, and you wonder how you're going to be able to kind of handle all this. But let's just take it one step at a time, and let's just look at college football as a whole, and it's the only thing that will be going on during that time frame because you're also assuming that the fall semester across the country continues to go towards distance learning. And by the way, I think distance learning will continue to be a thing that is prioritized with universities across the country. But when it comes to college athletics, obviously you're going to have to be on campus for a good chunk of it, unless you're like Joe Burrow and are able to kind of take classes 
at your house and do it at your own time. But let's just, again, take it one step at a time and look at that time frame. And I think it'd be best to move all, for best for all college football programs, if you just go to the spring going forward, if you have to start the season in 2021, mid-February, now, like not long after the Super Bowl. Because think about it. We've talked about a lot. Spring football is something we'd absolutely love to have. We would love to have. And I think we can do it. I think there's a way you can do it and do it right. We've, we've tried and failed with the AAF, and the XFL was doing well, but things wound up kind of going to the wayside because of the fact that the XFL just did not have it, did not have that it factor, and also the fact that yeah, COVID-19 kind of put the kibosh on a lot of it. That's the big thing you're going to be looking at going forward is what happens next. And my thought process is you've got to play an entire season starting in February, not long after the Super Bowl, and presumably, champ is crowned by the end of May. That's how I would do it. February to May, only conference games. Only conference games. Basically, you'd go to an FCS-esque schedule because, in fact, you cannot play going into June because it'd be absolutely dangerous to do that kind of stuff. That's why I wasn't a fan of the whole proposal to move it up to the summer because I'm like, dude, you do not know how hard it is to because you would have to pretty much have like a even bigger roster than normal to make sure you're they're able to handle the in and out the rotation because there's no way guys will be able to play 60 minutes straight in those pads with those helmets on in sweltering heat, especially here in Louisiana and Texas to the south. There's no way that's going to happen. That's it's causes more problems than just COVID 19 is what I'm getting at. But you think about it, season ends in May. You fast forward two to three months later, you'd be playing the true 2021 season. That's where the problem lies. The fact that that's a huge mistake. That's why I lean towards if you have to move due to COVID-19 to the spring, keep college football there permanently. It gives people the spring football, and it gives the entire fall to high school and the NFL. Do I think it's the right way to go about it? Not necessarily. But if you have to, this is the necessary evil to move college football from the fall to the spring. And that'll give us football virtually year-round. I think that's the best case scenario. I think that might be the one way you can do it. But, of course, what happens with college basketball and college baseball, that's a different conversation for a different day. But that's where I'm at right here right now. It's a weird world we're in but hopefully you know we can kind of have college football happen albeit let's say college football gets pushed back like two to three weeks let's say instead of starting labor day weekend it starts a couple weeks later let's say mid-september maybe the last week of september and i'd say push all those games back you can play them all the way through and then you can be finished with the season in mid-january Everybody can be done. The national championship game could be a little bit later than what it was this year. But you save yourself a lot of problems going forward in terms of setting yourself up for a potential failure and a potential respike. And, of course, there's a lot of other stuff going on with COVID-19, a potential second wave or all these other things. I'm like, I, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I can say right here, right now, I think we'll have college football 
it'll be a couple weeks away. And I think there's a big reason why is because, according to Nicole Auerbach, of the Athletics, she put out a report saying that basically football players would need four to six weeks to prepare for a season safely once they get back to campus. Once they get back to campus is the key word because across the country, I think a lot of not just not ADs, but entire university presidents and chancellors and everywhere in between, they are thinking hard about how they can handle this situation because you don't want to have a second spike in this because of the fact that your schools are going to be open back up in the fall of 2020. The fall semester is going to be absolutely crucial if it happens where you've got the 2020 season, it's going to go on. There's a million dollar question that needs to be answered. And the question is what happens next when it comes to these, if you don't have fall classes, that go on as planned and you wind up having it go strictly distance learning, there's no way you're having a football season in the in the fall. And that's when I think things go to the spring. Again, I don't see that happening. Just not everyone has to get out of their house at once. I was talking with a friend of mine, and they said basically they're going to stay at home until like this thing really starts to blow over. I think we're starting to make steps in the right direction. You look at the numbers, the numbers are changing. We're seeing the curve flattening. And I think the fact that, you know, we look around the country, we look at the plan that's been put in place by POTUS. I think that's something that could be absolutely huge and move forward. Because of the fact you're not having to just basically, the second we know that this thing is flattened, open everything up. Let's just bust it wide open. No, we're not busting everything wide open and letting everybody do what they want. We're slowly but surely, just to make sure, because the second you see another spike, close it all back down, and you go back to normal, you go back to the way things were as of right now. But, of course, there's a lot of other things that could happen there. But I like what I've been seeing. I like what I've been hearing, and the numbers are changing and they're flattening little by little every day eventually we'll be down to zero new cases and hopefully we'll see a lot more recoveries and we're seeing a good bit of recoveries across the world i mean china is finally kind of on the downturn they're starting to open up the country a lot more i think eventually we'll be seeing the usa opening up a lot more and then we'll get our football back in our lives we'll get baseball we'll get basketball we'll get all that back and hopefully relatively speaking on time. But we got a great show planned for you today and going forward. It's pretty much going to be all about the NFL draft hour two to start off the hour for the first half hour. I'm giving my mock draft one through 32 the first round. I'm giving you my thoughts on who goes where. But I've also got a little NFL draft talk with Emory Hunt, former Raging Cajuns running back. He'll talk the NFL draft, Emory Hunt, a football game plan. We'll talk about that. And where you see some of the Cajun prospects landing in the NFL draft, maybe some other steals, a look at Billy Napier's program, how crazy it's been to see in two years this team go from below 500 to 10 wins in two years. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more with him. Ross Jackson will give us the Saints perspective at 1130. We'll get a black and gold look at things when it comes to next Thursday. Where does he see them going with that 24th pick? Do they trade? Do they go quarterback? Do they go corner? Which direction does he see them going? And then we'll go to a completely different place in our next segment. When we come back, I'm going to talk about something that I think everybody has seen and read. 
And I'll get to it next right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live, as always, from the game studios. And I'm absolutely loving this beautiful Saturday morning. I know it's a little dre- it was a little drear outside when I got here, but I think the weather could be turning around just a little bit as we proceed to give you what you need on this Saturday afternoon. And this might be something you don't need, but it's absolutely ridiculous. My least favorite announcer of all time, if you know me well enough, it's Joe Buck. I just can't stand the cat. So because it's just, I, I just don't know. It's I can't stand the fact, especially when he does football. Baseball, I can tolerate. But Joe Buck, I feel like, is a little bit overrated in my book. And maybe I'm wrong here. But, you know, I've been enjoying what he's been doing during quarantine times. Because he's been able to kind of crush it lately and do play-by-play of people's day-to-day activities, whatever stuff they send him. And that's great. But there's people who have taken it maybe a little too far. And according to Buck, I believe he mentioned this either in a podcast or on radio, that apparently people are asking him to do commentary of what they're doing behind closed doors. Yes, you heard me right. People want him to talk over their personal time in the bedroom. And, well, an adult entertainment site, I'm not going to mention what, because I'd probably get very much in trouble for that. But an adult entertainment site apparently offered Joe Buck, yes, Joe Buck, $1 million. And it's absolutely amazing to lend his voice to some of those live cams that they do. Don't Google what that is, by the way. I highly don't recommend it, especially you know if you've got a significant other. That might not be a b- best situation, but don't Google that. Don't even think about it. But Buck mentioned in a statement to SI that as I am highly qualified, as I've been practicing these calls most of my life, but I don't want to take that job without a proper open audition. So if they get... Jim Nance, Al Michaels, Mike Tirico, maybe John Madden, and all the others who do what I do for an audition, I'm in. If any one of them say no, I'm out. That's all I can commit to at this time. I can say I have never been more flattered. And also closes it with, I know my dad, the late Jack Buck, would be proud. And I wound up doing a little bit of research, and thankfully Sports Illustrated made my life easy to figure out what's actually going on here. But apparently... And I'm, I'm laughing at this every time I read this. So, apparently, they're offering applications to other national and local commentators to take part in this. I think I saw somebody on my Facebook feed actually got offered an opportunity. I don't know how. I don't want to know how, actually. But, yeah. So, I mean, my DMs are open, don't get me wrong. Offer me something. But it's just really weird that we're talking about Joe Buck calling these... Doing the doing play by play, I guess. I don't know how you would do that to begin with, because especially because I believe most of these are generally just like people by themselves, as opposed to oh hey, 
things that really do go on behind closed doors, like Charlie Rich once said, I think that's it's just very weird. It is probably one of the weirdest things I've ever heard when it comes to these quarantine times, getting Joe Buck, an announcer I'm not a fan of. But I've gotten to be a fan of him just because of the fact that now it's no longer robotic. He's no longer really the robotic guy that we always would hear on the call. We will see you tomorrow night. It's something I mentioned to Ben when we were talking about this yesterday. Imagine him saying that during these things. It's a weird time. It is just absolutely loving. Again, I absolutely love the idea, and it's hilarious. But it's absolutely ridiculous that people at this site, it's an adult site, so definitely not safe for work or really anywhere unless you are able to, you know, be the single man and live alone. Because I think if you have a significant other, that might not be the best idea in the world. But it's interesting. And I'm going to pull off a segue of all segues. We're talking about cam shows. This is something entirely different. And that is our social media series on Facebook. It's a Facebook Live that goes on each and every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at straight up 8 o'clock. And this Sunday, we've got a special one. RP3 will will be joined by Kevin Foote on the latest edition of Sliding Into Home this Sunday at 8 o'clock. The legendary Kevin Foote is joining 103.7 The Game. Going to be starting his show this Wednesday. 9 o'clock until 11. Yeah, you heard me right. Kevin Foote, the man who has written God knows how many articles and columns about high school sports. He is a historian. He's the dean of all sports in Acadiana. I am absolutely overjoyed about the fact that he's joining 103.7 The Game. But you'll hear a lot more about Kevin Foote's journey, how he got into the business, his career, and everything in between, and also jumping ship over to the game. And I've got some thoughts on that a little bit later in the program, so make sure you keep it locked right here to hear what's causing all this. But I'm looking forward to that tomorrow night, RP3, Kevin Foote, on Sunday, 8 o'clock. But make sure you go check out Sliding Into Home, our social media series, every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And, heck, you can go back in the archives and see some of the other ones we've had. Last Sunday, it was Jay Darden and Ben Love talking a lot about the world about the world of sports and a little Pete Maravich. Really cool stuff about that. You also had on Tuesday night, it was... RP3 and Danny Broussard. And if you know Danny Broussard, the cat can talk and talk and talk. So it's great to have these two go long for an hour and 10 minutes. The overcast, by the way, me and me and uh, Louis Praise on the producer of RP3 Comedy, we put a little friendly gentleman's wager over under 50 minutes, and the over definitely cashed on that bad boy. And then we had on Thursday... Nick Fontenot and Brad Boyd, which is a really fun and informative interview. These are always entertaining as all get out. Spend some time tomorrow night and hear from the man himself, Kevin Foote. And I'm absolutely overjoyed about the fact that he's here. I'm going to mention some during the end of the show that's going to wind up making you understand why I'm absolutely hyped about it. But you know what else I'm hyped about? 
our next guest joining the program, Emory Hunt, footballgameplan.com, and also a little bit of a former Cajuns running back. We'll talk to him about some of the Cajuns looking to apply their trade in the NFL draft, where he sees them going, some guys who could very well be a steal in the 2020 NFL draft, and so much more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and Under the Dome with CD. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037, the game. Welcome back, Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. Absolutely loving this Saturday afternoon so far. And we're going to try to keep the good vibes rolling on. Right now, we got on the game hotline part of football game plan. Emory Hunt, also former Cajuns running back. We're going to get a little NFL draft talk going right about now because it is that time of year this coming Thursday, the NFL draft. I cannot wait for it because, honestly, we're starving for content, and the NFL has a buffet practically, almost like the Popeye's buffet over towards the oil center. So make sure you enjoy the buffet of sports content that the NFL draft is giving us. And once again, right now, Emory Hunt on the game hotline. Emory, how's it going? Doing fine, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you joining the show. I've been following your work for a while. Absolutely love what you've been doing. But first things first, let's look at some of these Cajuns that are out there that are going to be trying to apply their trade in the NFL draft. And the first one that pops to mind is without a doubt Robert Hunt was looking at some scouting reports over the last couple of days, and Robert Hunt looks to be, uh, Walter Football even mentioned him as being a second-round, early-day-two type of guy. Where do you see him kind of fitting into this whole situation? How much of a steal would it be to get a guy like him in the second round? I think when you look at what he brings to the table, he, you know, he's 6'5", 322, he's a fantastic athlete, so you're getting someone that has the athleticism to play guard or tackle, it uh, depends on which team, what, what team wants him to play, which position. And when you look at how he plays in conjunction with what the Cajuns did on the ground this year, running the football, you can see why he's an attractive prospect to teams. He, and I, I spoke with him at the Combine. He, he talks like a guy that's passionate about the game, and you like that about your linemen. He understands football, so he's got great awareness in conjunction with his athleticism. So, again, you can understand why teams are viewing him and also Kevin Dotson in high regard. Yeah, we'll get to Kevin Dotson in a second, but you brought up the NFL Combine. That's something that's kind of interested me when it comes to like how the whole process goes, but it's the fact that you had the Combine happen, and that was kind of the last time a lot of these scouts were able to get a look at them in terms of their 40 times, a lot of these drills, because obviously pro days have been canceled. Outside of maybe occasional virtual days, we've seen some of the LSU players be able to put something together. But how weird is it for some of these scouts and some of these teams to try and make picks because of the fact they haven't necessarily seen much of a lot of these players in these pro days, and some of them might have skipped the combine? Yeah, it's tough because you have a guy like Robert Hunt who was supposed to play in the Senior Bowl, but he was recovering from an injury, and he didn't get a chance to work out at the combine either because he 
told everyone he was going to, you know, wait until his pro day, which was supposed to be March 26th, I believe. And we all know that got canceled as well. So if you only have to go on film and you only have to go on your interviews, I can understand why a lot of scouts or teams are having some reservations about a lot of prospects because they didn't really get to put them through the medical ringer. Now, the benefit is that they got the chance to go through the medical ringer with Robert Hunt at the combine. But when you look at other guys uh, that may have needed that pro date on March 26th for the Cajuns, that's where it comes into play with, uh, where you're thinking, man, that, that really hurts these guys as far as their draft prospects are concerned. Talk right now with Emory Hunt, and we're talking about uh, like the fact Robert Hunt possibly going to be a second round. I know I was seeing some stuff very early on, potentially being a first-round type of guy. How much did him not being able to participate in the Senior Bowl due to those injuries and the fact that he wasn't necessarily part of the combine, how much of that has hurt his stock? I think it, I don't want to say hurt stock, but it definitely doesn't elevate what he could potentially have brought to the table. And guys benefit off the Senior Bowl. They benefit off being able to work out at the combine and go through the drills and things of that nature and also benefit from their pro date. So the question scouts will probably have is, man, in the first round, we want sure bets. We want sure fire. They want impact players. Not saying Robert Hunt can't be that guy, but there's still a lot of unknown because you hadn't seen him play since the regular season in which he also missed time. So that's the question about him, which is why I don't see him going in the first round. I see him more as a second or third round pick uh, because of the unknown and uncertainty surrounding him. Sticking with the big uglies on the offensive line, I think we got to bring up Kevin Dotson. I saw some mocks have him in a sixth round pick, and this is a guy that was one of the top, one of these top guys that everybody was loving. How 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 crazy is that to think that he's a sixth round guy? I felt like maybe he would have been very early third day, maybe a fourth fifth round guy. Yeah, it's real bizarre to see that because he dominated down at the East West Shrine Bowl this year, and a guy that people thought should have been in the Senior Bowl and also the Combine. And you watch him work out. You see the transformation his body has, you know, taken uh, has taken place with his body. Shout out to Duke uh, Manyweather, who does a great job in training the offensive lineman. He speaks highly of Kevin Dotson and the work he put in. And if you like Robert Hunt, you have to like Kevin Dotson as well because they both were on the right side. And a lot of the big plays the Cajuns had in the run game came on the right side. And Dotson, I think, is more ready to play than Hunt is because we've seen Dotson not only play the entire season. We saw him play at the, the East-West Shrine Bowl. He was the talk of the town down there at, in St. Petersburg. So he's probably going to go higher because he's healthier, and teams have seen him longer than they've seen Hunt. Talk right now with Emory Hunt, part of football game plan, also a former Cajuns running back. And speaking of those running backs, Emory, I think we all, we need to talk about Raymond Calais, the man. I, I was watching some games of him recently on CST, and every time it seemed like he had the football it was just boom. He was able to kind of hit the hit the hit the blocks hard and be able to just blow past everybody. And you know, like this guy could very well be a great kind of Devin Hester, Darren Sproles type on special teams. Where do you, what day do you see him kind of going? Yeah, it, another one that had the benefit of, of working out at the combine and running really fast. But I thought what really solidified his status as a draftable prospect. I do see him probably going in that fourth-round area um, because he has the ability to affect the return game. He had two touchdowns on returns in the NFL PA Bowl, 
every time you write, he touched the football, it seems like he was ripping off a big play in chunks. And when you look at these spot starters that I like to call guys that don't need volume, especially at that position, they can come in right away, affect the passing game, affect the run game. He catches the ball really well. He has the speed that translates. So it's not like you have to worry about, okay, whether or not playing in the Sun Belt help prepare him for the NFL. Speed is speed no matter where where it plays. And for a guy that's very quick and shifty and able to break the long run, he's someone that can really fit into an offense. And when you're looking at guys that can contribute right away, especially considering the time that we're in, we may not get a rookie minicamp. We may not even get an extended training camp. So you need guys that can hit the ground running. And when you have the ability to play on special teams, in addition to being uh, a situational guy offensively, it bodes well for your chances to not only get drafted high, but also have a team feel comfortable in taking you because you can hit the ground running. How much does his like background in track and field kind of help his stock in general? Just because it's like you, you see a lot of these guys be multi-sport athletes in high school, but seeing somebody like Calais who really is well-versed in these 100-meter dashes and seeing what he did in the 40 time and what he was able to do at UL, not just in terms of running back, but especially – in his special teams play at kickoffs, how much does that help help a player like that kind of try and make a splash on a 53-man roster? Well, it definitely helps, but, you know, you have to really, you know, get it out there that, okay, he's a he's a track guy that, that also plays football. He's a football player that also helps, happens to run track. I think that's the key. People look at track guys and don't think they're tough, but when you look at Raymond Calley, he is a football player who happens to run track, so he's tougher then your average track guy playing football, and the fact that he also knows how to control his speed. Sometimes you get guys out there that are, that are fast that can't control their speed, and I think that's what helps him out because he's able to, to gear down, change direction, and accelerate when he needs to. And when you're able to control your speed like that, that's a huge problem for a defense because you can, you can destroy uh, angles, which allows you to break these long runs. Talking now with Emory Hunt, football game plan, and what about some of the other Cajuns that are draft eligible going to be trying to apply their trade? Where do you see some of the guys like Jamarcus Bradley and Michael Jaquet kind of, or Jaquette, excuse me, I'm so used to saying Jaquette and him kind of throwing that curveball on us his last year. It's, it's definitely hard to get used to saying Jaquette. But what can you say about those those two guys and maybe some other Cajuns that could be that are draft eligible? Where do you see them kind of leaning? Or are they, are they going to be some of those UDFAs? And, could it be, and you brought up the fact that we're in different times. How much is the fact you won't have some of these rookie minicamps going to affect their their potential in the NFL? Yeah, and that's the unfortunate part. And Bradley was one that was silky smooth down at the Shrine Bowl. I mean, just goes about his game quietly, runs great routes, didn't really uh, drop any passes down there at, you know, all week long and you know had a really big play in the game as well. I think he got into the end zone. So for someone like him, because he doesn't have that blazing speed, um, I think more along the lines of day three, maybe a priority free agent like you talked about. Jaquette is the one I think that people really need to start getting a little bit more familiar with because we know the league loves tall corners that can run. And the fact that he played receiver before switching to cornerback, he has the upside that people look for. So they look at that and say, hey, I can continue to help grow his game on the defensive side of the football. He has good ball skills. He understands passing concepts. So he has all the requisite talent and, you know, skill set that you want to see compete at the next level. And we know that the league loves these Cajun corners, man. We can go down a list. You might as well call UL DBU with all the defensive backs that have gone to the NFL uh, that have followed the same track as Michael Jaquette. So I think he is a guy 
along with Bradley, that can definitely find themselves on an NFL roster. It's, it's unfortunate that we're in this time because I feel like a guy like Jaquet would have had uh, a significant jump in awareness from uh, him participating in the combine. Uh, not the combine, but you know the pro day. And so more people would have talked about him and created that buzz leading up to draft day. So it's unfortunate, but the, what he put out there on film, I think is definitely more than enough for him to get out there and contribute on a football team, if not on a regular defense, at least initially on special teams. I'd have to agree with you wholeheartedly. Michael Jacquet has been absolutely phenomenal, and I think a lot of these guys would have benefited from an extra opportunity to be in front of these NFL scouts because you see them a lot whenever you're, throughout the regular season whenever they're up in the press box watching some of these guys apply their trade in the college ranks, but seeing them in the pro day, especially some that maybe didn't get the invite to the combine like, the, like Jacquet, like Bradley, you can imagine how much it's hurting a lot of these guys that were probably like fringe, maybe day three guys across the country, not just here, you not just at UL, but with across the country. How much this affects some of the smaller school guys that did not get those calls to the to Indy? Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I'm looking at my calendar right now from March, and I had, you know, I got back from the combine that Friday, and the rest of March I had pro day visits scheduled and also college visits scheduled. And these are situations where you've seen guys that can go to, a, let's say, for instance, the Rutgers Pro Day. That would have been a situation where guys locally uh, that play at the FCS level or Division II level here in Jersey would have gotten that opportunity in front of scouts and maybe raised an eyebrow or two, um, but you don't see that. Or even guys that have played at the, the FBS level. Case in point, last year, Jonathan Hilleman, was I saw him at the College Red Iron Showcase. He also worked out at the Rutgers Pro Day. Now, he went to Rutgers, but he didn't have, you know, stats that showed you, okay, this guy is the guy you want to take a chance on. He he didn't have the, the numbers per se, but he went out there. He ran fast uh, for the 40-yard dash. He worked out really well. He got invited to the Giants' local Pro Day and ended up making a team as an undrafted free agent and also getting some playing time in the regular season when Saquon Barkley missed time. So, that's a guy that definitely benefited from a pro date and a lot of these small college guys. And there are a bunch in this area that were really good that just didn't get that opportunity. And we're going to see this. And it's unfortunate because you don't have now the XFL or another alternate league where these guys can go and get some reps. So it's a really tough year to be a small college prospect in the NFL draft. And you brought up the XFL. I'm going to ask you just real quickly. Do you think the XFL would have been able to sustain itself beyond 2020 if not for COVID-19? Absolutely, because he budgeted for, Vince McMahon budgeted for three years of taking a loss before it would have turned around. You saw the attendance start to go up. More people start to become more excited about the XFL. They were looking forward to watching the XFL and going to the game. And I thought they had the really good partnerships in place. It's unfortunate that they just timing is of the essence here, and it's just unfortunate that we won't see that play out. Exactly. And one more before I get you out of here. Looking at the Cajuns program as a whole, it's crazy to think that just two years, just a couple seasons ago, you saw the Cajuns sub 500. It felt like the bottom was falling out of the program. Billy Napier comes in, and within two seasons, he gets this program to 10 wins. How great is it to see this Cajuns program be considered one of the top, not just in the Sunbelt Conference, but in terms of the entire group of five schools? I love to watch it, man, and have watched it play out because you see a great guy like Coach Napier um, and just understands how to build a program. And you're seeing guys now 
want to go to UL and want to be a part of something great. And from top to bottom, you're talking about from the video department to, you know, having a guy like Coach Wingard is still there. He's a Cajun through and through. And really, it's a it's a legit program, and I, I enjoy seeing it. And now you look at next year, you have the two running backs there and Mitchell and Regis. I think Levi Lewis is a pro quarterback. I love the, the growth and development he made down the back end of the season. So what Coach Napier has done and that entire UL athletic program, it has made it such a, a big part of sense of pride when I walk around here with my Cajun sweatshirt on and, and people recognize, oh, that's University of Louisiana now, before people used to ask, well, what school is that? And now they understand it. So I think he's done a great job not only building the program, but uh, strengthening that brand as well, which has all been a great thing to see. Emory, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road and, and enjoy watching the NFL draft start next Thursday. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Emory Hunt, football game plan. Love having on different perspectives. This is somebody I've been wanting to have on for a while, and I finally was like, let me shoot my shot. We're getting closer to the draft, talk about some of these Cajuns, and I'm absolutely loving it. We'll be back after this, wrapping up our number one in a nice little bow, and I've got something to talk about that's gotten me a little bit hot and bothered over the last few days. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We are Acadiana's number one sports station, baby. don't lie because when you listen to under the dome with cd your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And earlier this week, it was just incredible to see how much happened in the WWE. Just this past week, the XFL filed for bankruptcy and declared it like Michael Scott in the office and also decided to say, hey, you know, they've not only fired everybody from the XFL, they decided to announce the release of several superstars. Basically, had a big conference call and said that they were going to let go several people. And basically, Vince McMahon probably got on the phone with everybody and said, Probably not. He wanted to probably just go into whoever's the head of talent relations. I don't think it's John Laurinaitis anymore, but I'm sure go, Hey, kid, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to cut you. Best of luck in your future endeavors, kid. That's about as close as I can get. To sound like Johnny Ace, uh, Johnny Ace out of the talent relations. It's, it's, I don't know why I'm doing this, but they released several superstars. The biggest one of them all, Kurt Angle, multiple time world champion and also former Olympic gold medalist, went with a broken freaking neck. Also letting go Rusev, Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, the good brothers who have been on Jim Rome a couple times. But hey, it's crazy. And also, People have been part of the company forever. Mike Kyoto, they got rid of Scott Armstrong as a producer. Lance Storm, who they hired four months ago, had to shut down his wrestling school and everything. And it's amazing how much has changed. And, of course, this is 
all after the fact that the city of Orlando, Florida, and eventually the state of Florida, once the governor kind of said, hey, we're going to make sure that we can have sports back in Florida. Lots of has to do with the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League. A legend report about the MLB going that route for the 2020 MLB season so they can have one. That's interesting. But again, the city of Orlando considered the WWE essential business earlier this week. And this came after, allegedly, Linda McMahon and a Super PAC, not X-Pac, a Super PAC, P-A-C, all caps, said that, you know, basically, allegedly, gave Florida a bunch of money to pretty much make it so that the WWE can be considered a essential business. That is the weirdest crap I've ever heard, and I don't know why that became a thing. And then right after that, they decided to fire a lot of really great talent. Mind you, some of them were inevitable, like No Way Jose, Eric Young, Heath Slater, Primo and Epico. I'm surprised they were still part of the company. And a lot of other guys, a lot of people who had definitely kind of mentioned outright that they were kind of getting tired of being part of the company and were wanting to go to AEW. In the case of Gallows and Anderson, they actually got signed to five-year deals just this past summer. And now those contracts are null and void. They're out of here like the revival. As a lot of these guys are going to be making their way over to AEW and going to make them a lot better once this whole thing kind of, once the world starts opening back up again. But that's going to be a question for a different day and for a different hour, maybe a different show down the road. Because I'm going to take a quick commercial break, come back, hour number two of two, and we're getting NFL draft heavy. In this hour, we'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 103.7 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 103.7 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Oh, hell yeah. Hour number two of two. Right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7, the game at 103.7thegame.com. And ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you live, as always, from the Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! It is just a beautiful Saturday afternoon inside the Game Studios. And, of course, it is yours truly. Yo, it's me. It's me. The world-famous CD, and we are coming at you. I'm absolutely pumped up for the second hour of this show where we go a lot more NFL draft heavy. And that's exactly the way I want to do things because, baby, it is just absolutely the perfect time to get into it. Because, hey, guess what? This Thursday it is the NFL draft, and it's my favorite time of year because I like to go all out and have a lot of fun and give you my 
mock draft, the one and only mock draft that I do every year, the Saturday before the NFL draft. And I just have to say, I can't help it that this is absolutely one of my favorite parts of the year. I can't help it that I'm custom made. I can't help it that I look good, smell good, can't dance all night long. I absolutely have to say I'm loving this day, and I think I'm absolutely just loving it because of the fact that I get to talk about the NFL draft and give you my mock draft for the first round, 1 through 32. I'm breaking it up into two segments because, one, I've got commercial breaks to fill. But number two is the fact I don't feel like overloading you with all this information, overloading you with all the information that I've compiled over the last several weeks to make sure that I can make the right picks for every team. And some of these, like the top five, I feel like they're pretty simple, pretty easy picks. Some of them are a little bit out there, some maybe a little bit of reaches, but I'm having fun with it. So we're going to go ahead and get it going right now. With the first pick in the 2020 NFL mock draft by yours truly, the Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow. Simple as that. It's open and shut. The best choice for the Bengals going forward. The Ginger Ninja has only got them so far, and now it's time to hand the reins over to a new guy that can help take this team from kind of the laughing stock and the doorstop of the AFC to a contender within the next five years. And I'm saying next five years because I think once the game starts slowing down for Joe Burrow, look out. Go look at what he did at LSU his junior year, he was good, but he wasn't legendary. Once he started to get, get the game to slow down for him against SEC defenses, he carved him up like a Thanksgiving turkey, and I think that's a big reason why I have a lot of optimism for the Cincinnati Bengals within the next five years to become a top contender alongside the Kansas City Chiefs and be one of the top guys in the AFC North, and really making a strong case for themselves to be one of the top teams in the NFL in five years. With the second pick in the CD 2020 mock draft, the Washington Redskins go ahead and go with Chase Young, one of the best defensive players in this draft. He'll go to a team with a defensive-minded head coach and Ron Rivera. Still some questions in QB. But I don't think Riverboat Ron is going to afford, can't can't really afford to pass up on a guy like Chase Young, a freak of an athlete. I think this is going to be somebody to keep an eye on. And Riverboat Ron will ride the storm out on Dwayne Haskins. At least that's how it seems right now. Maybe he'll get Cam Newton down the road. There's a lot of different questions. But I cannot wait for that to happen. But that's my number two pick. When it comes down to it, Chase Young, number two on the list. This is where things go a little bit different, a little topsy-turvy. But that's the way I like to do it. Detroit Lions, they need to build some defensive line, get some big uglies. And I think Detroit picks Derek Brown out of Auburn with a number three pick. They can get in the later rounds. There's a lot of depth this year in the wide receiver rankings when you look at it, I think they can wind up working into a better wide receiver later in the draft and not necessarily have to reach with that number three pick. That's where I'm at. When it comes down to it, 
I like Derek Brown. He's a top 10 pick. I think he's a guy that's going to have to be the guy. And that's priority numero uno with a franchise that has a lot of holes to fill is building up some pressure on the defensive line and build that front seven up to be make it a little bit more formidable. Tracy Walker has been great, former Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Detroit Lions. So don't be surprised if they go a little more defensive-minded. I think all that has to do with Matt Patricia, a former defensive coordinator for the Patriots. With the number four pick, the New York Giants select Jedrick Willis, the former Crimson Tide, almost a Clemson Tide, Crimson Tide offensive tackle, broke out of the combine, solid 40, did great in the drills. He adds some depth to the offensive line, and if they want to get their money's worth on Daniel Jones, their big investment, they reached, unlike any other team in the NFL, I feel like in history, to get a jabroni like Daniel Bleepin' Jones. But if they want to have that investment secured, I think you need to build up some offensive line. Look at Eli Manning and what he did and how he underwhelmed over the course of his latter-day career. The offensive line just gave up. There was no offensive line worth kind of protecting a man of his stature, so hopefully he can be back at it and be in a big way. I'm looking forward to that when it comes to it. And I think also you look at GM Dave Gettleman. He's a lot like Vince McMahon and loves some, some big sweaty monsters. With the fifth pick, the Miami Dolphins go with the conventional pick, but it's also a little bit risky with Tua Tungavialoa. They stick with their man. They, like Tammy Wynette, stand by their man in Tua Tungavialoa. It's a risky pick in the first round because of that hip. And also the Wonderlick test, whatever that means. Again, I'm not a fan of the fact people are weighing that Wonderlick heavy on him because supposedly he bombed on it. Honestly, I think a lot of us could would probably bomb on it. But I have to say, Tua Tungavialoa is the best pick for them. And it's not going to be day one, but trust me, you got a guy that's a proven winner on the gridiron. I think he gets in that spot. He is that number five pick for the Miami Dolphins. And Tua could pan out to be a great Pro Bowl QB and shifts the conversation in the AFC East over towards the Miami Dolphins now that Tom Brady has let go of his stranglehold and went from the AFC East to the NFC South. And we'll get to those bucks a little bit later in our mock draft. But again, Tua Tunga Villaloa, the number five pick, number four, Jedrick Willis out of Alabama going to the Giants. Derek Brown out of Auburn going to number Three Detroit Lions, the Washington Redskins get Chase Young out of the Ohio State, and Joe Burrow heads over to the Cincinnati Bengals. Relatively no surprises there, but let's keep it going and get to our number six pick. Number six, I got to go with Isaiah Simmons, a physical freak going to the Los Angeles Chargers. I like what I've seen from him. He's going to be a guy that could be a absolute beast on the second level of defense and the Chargers need that and don't be surprised if he's one of those key guys that turns this defense around virtually overnight the Carolina Panthers select Makai Becton who was allegedly reportedly flagged for a drug test reportedly probably a little bit of the Mary Jane a couple days away from 420 could have just waited a little bit longer there buddy but he had a tra- he's had he's had issues in the past, staying off of, I, I presume, the mar- 
the marijuana, and he's going to have to. But they're still going to wind up probably getting him because you need to bolster the offensive line to keep the hot commodity and Teddy Two Gloves healthy for a full full sixteen game schedule. Keep in mind, Teddy Two Gloves has not played a full sixteen game schedule in a long time. Having an offensive line and a formidable one at that with a guy like Makai Becton out of Louisville, that one's helping you out quite a bit. Number eight, Arizona Cardinals select C.D. Lamb. Kyler Murray has been planting the bug in Cliff Kingsbury's ear to get his former teammate in the first round of the draft. Cliff Kingsbury, an offensive-minded brain, is probably loving the fact of having him on the team alongside the ageless wonder and Larry Fitzgerald in 2020. So he's going to take the young wide out in a little bit of a reach. I think he could have probably traded down and probably gotten him, but I think Getting the number eight pick overall, C.D. Lamb, could be a great move for the Arizona Cardinals going forward. The number 10 pick, the Cleveland Browns select Andrew Thomas. Give Mayfield some help at the offensive line and a good compliment to former Tennessee Titan Jack Conklin, who joined the team in the offseason. Conklin, by the way, was somebody who I wanted the Saints to pick a few years ago. A lot of that has to do with the fact he's got some solid hands and he can work well as he's got great wrestling experience and being a guy who knows how to use his hands in certain ways, especially if you're on the offensive line, is absolutely huge. So that's how they round out the top ten. The Cleveland Browns go Andrew Thomas and start bolstering the offensive line a bit. Number 11, the New York Jets go with a running back and go with former Georgia Bulldog DeAndre Swift. They need a running back to add to their repertoire. It can likely fill their other holes in the later rounds. And a quality back is a slight reach, but that's where I'm at because I think that's definitely one of the biggest needs they can get in the first round, and that's your first running back off the board. Number 12, the Las Vegas Raiders select Jerry Judy. After the Antonio Brown situation exploded in their face like Homer Simpson's makeup gun, the Raiders are in need of a wide receiver one to compliment Derek Carr and Judy could be the perfect fit for this franchise after they I, I'm still blown away by the fact they got rid of Calvin of, of their top guy in the wide receiver core and also got rid of Cleo Mack. But I think this is absolutely something they need to do, and we see the Las Vegas Raiders get a solid guy in Jerry Judy. The San Francisco Niners, San Francisco 49ers select Iowa's Tristan Wirfs with a 13th pick overall. It's a bit of a reach, but they have another pick at the end of the draft and bolstering the offensive line that has an aging Joe Staley may help Kyle Shanahan not blow as many leads in what could very well be a Super Bowl loss hangover year for the Niners. With the 14th pick, You've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going. Austin Jackson, another offensive lineman, comes off the board. And definitely, it's a bit of a run here, if you've noticed, on offensive linemen. And I think this is the right way to do it because Tom Brady, he's not getting any younger. And I think you can get a better quarterback a little bit further down the line. I'll tell you who that is in a little bit. Because I think you could probably get a guy like Jalen Hurts maybe in the second round because we know Tom Brady, probably one or two years at the max, is going to be going over to Tampa by the Bay and being able to play at the big pirate ship. But that's where I'm going. They're going offensive line here. At number 15, the Denver Broncos select Kenneth Murray, physical linebacker that plays both inside and outside. 
and has a solid 40 time as well. The Boomer Sooner is going to be booming at number 15. Denver Broncos love a little bit of a defensive-minded setup, and I can't wait to see what happens from that aspect. Rounding out the first half of the NFL draft, the Atlanta Falcons, they go towards an SEC top corner in C.J. Henderson. The Florida Gator absolutely could be a solid member of the secondary, and the team you know, needs to be able to play a lot better on that secondary, and they can do that with the way they play in the NFL draft because they whiffed so hard last year. So many offensive linemen, they messed up so bad with that. I think having a guy like C.J. Henderson is absolutely huge for the Atlanta Falcons if they want to be able to continue to contend in a hot, highly contested NFC South. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we'll get to the second half. Who do the Saints have? Who do I have the Saints taking with the 24th overall pick? You'll be surprised. When we come back, you're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7 The Game.com. Famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Let's keep it going when it comes to the NFL Mock Draft 2020, the one and only one that I do every single year. And for a little perspective, I usually try and go a little bit more towards like just overall need i don't ever really go best player available us i see an absolute stud in that mix but it's usually best player available i try and keep things a little bit even keel when it comes to doing these mock drafts i usually just think about it from that perspective and that perspective alone so let's go ahead and start with the second half of the draft with the number 17 pick which goes to the dallas cowboys The Cowboys select LSU Tiger Caleb Song. One of the biggest holes they need to fill is edge rusher. And the LSU Tiger definitely fits that role. And the boys will need that guy. And I think he's going to do well with the new look Cowboys in terms of the coaching staff. You no longer have the robot clapper there. So I think they're going to wind up looking a little bit different in 2020. With the 18th pick, the Miami Dolphins, they go Jonathan Taylor. It's a bit of a reach, but this guy could wind up being a Big deal. He was one of the most consistent running backs in college football. Just a smidge over 2,000 yards and 21 scores last year. And the Dolphins start building a formidable offense for the future again. I think this team could be a really big force five years, maybe six years down the road. The the Las Vegas Raiders keep it going, going with Travon Diggs. A solid cover corner fills another need for the Raiders franchise that wants to keep themselves in the conversation when it comes to being one of the better teams in the AFC West with the Chargers, a lot of relative unknowns. Is Tarot Taylor tough man? I don't know. We're going to have to wait and find out. With the 20th pick, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Javon Kenlaw. And they need to bolster their defense at day one. Their second pick in the first round puts a big ugly in the front seven. And he's a certified monster weighing in at 315 pounds. Getting a big ugly in that front seven, absolutely huge. 
The Eagles select Henry Ruggs with the 21st pick. Deshaun Jackson's injuries last season speeds up the process to find a formidable wide receiver to compliment Jackson, maybe be the wide receiver one down the road. And the Eagles will likely spend much of the second day building offensive line and the linebacker position. I think that's where the Philadelphia Eagles go. Get Henry Ruggs. Number 22, the Minnesota Vikings select Xavier, Xavier McKinney, who had a great 2019. He could be a jack-of-all-trades in the secondary. The cupboard's pretty bare in the safety position for those Vikes, so it makes sense, of course, if they don't miss out on their draft pick like they did back in the gap. The New England Patriots select their QB of the future in the first round, and that is Justin Herbert. Jared Stedham is not going to be a guy that's going to be around for very long in the league. I don't think he's going to be he's panned out well. I don't think he'd be he's going to want to make an interesting QB competition, but I think this could be Justin Herbert's job to lose. It'll be a couple years before things really start flying, especially with Bill Belichick at the helm. I can't wait to see what happens there with the number 23 pick, the Pats. Go Justin Herbert. I've mentioned it for a while now. The Saints need to get in the secondary. And that's exactly where I have them going. With the 24th pick, I have the Saints going LSU to go get Grant Delpit to replace Von Bell, who's in Cincy now. Don't forget about that. That's a big reason why I went there. He's a hell of a safety and ready to fill a void in that spot. And also, he'd be pretty well. Put that eighth man in the box. As we've seen him be able to get after the quarterback and come at him with a lot of speed. So give me Grant Delpit, the number 24 pick. It's a bit of a reach based on what some people have said, but I think that may be the best pick if he's available to fill a huge void in the safety position in 2020. Number 25, the Minnesota Vikings get a new man from Clemson in T. Higgins, a big body wide receiver. Great compliment to Adam Thielen. I think they can wind up being a hell of an offense with Kirk Cousins there. They got a new wide receiver name is escaping me right now. But the Vikings are a formidable team with that kind of setup in place. So that's where I'm at. Number 25 goes T. Higgins. The Dolphins continue to fill holes in their game with Josh Jones out of Houston. Give this team some time, and they can take over the AFC East in a couple years. This is another big move to fill a void, and that is the offensive line. Give Tua Vilo whenever he's ready, a lot of help. That way he can be 100% healthy and ready to go. Getting to the tail end here, number 27th overall pick, Justin Madubaduk and I'm probably mispronouncing that, but the Seahawks defense has lost some of that boom. I think the Seahawks start finding that boom again with a really good interior lineman that can get after the quarterback, which is a huge need. They hardly got any sacks last year. I think the only other team that got less was the Miami Dolphins, so getting that kind of guy at 27, that's kind of a steal. The Baltimore Ravens are going to be looking to really make the AFC North there. you know what, And a big reason why is because their offense is going to be on fire. And one reason why, with the 28th pick, they go Justin Jefferson, a wide receiver to be a great compliment to Hollywood Brown. This could very well be one of the most like formidable divisions post-draft 
because you got the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to be building something really cool down the line. And the Baltimore Ravens. This could be an arms race, and I can't wait to see it. The 28th pick goes to Justin Jefferson. 29th pick, the Tennessee Titans select Isaiah Wilson. The Georgia Bulldog falls down to the end of the first round, be a steal for the Titans franchise with Conklin heading over, once I mentioned earlier, to the Browns. He's going to help bolster that offensive line and protect their quarterback, Tannehill. Don't know why he got re-signed like he did still to this day. Number 30, the Green Bay Packers go LSU. A slight reach, Christian Fulton, but I think he's going to be worth it. He's a hell of a player, and I'd love to see him play for Go Pack Go. 31, San Francisco 49ers go with Chase Claypool. Jimmy G gets another weapon that could give his offense a little bit more dimension and won't have to be an offense that entirely revolves around the running back position like they did in the NFC title game. And a little, and that way you can have more than just one or two weapons because George Kittle's damn good, and you got rid of Emmanuel Sanders in the offseason, so why not add a healthy and a young wide receiver in Chase Claypool? And with the final pick in the first round, Kansas City goes with a Alabama player from the state of Louisiana, Dylan Moses, the Alabama program is known for linebacker talent, and Andy Reid would love to have someone like that in the front seven. I think that's a guy that could be absolutely huge for the Chiefs' success because they've got a lot of great points on offense. Defense has always been a part where it's like slightly suspect, so hopefully we can see things set up nicely for that franchise down the road. Because, again, I think now that you don't have to deal with Tom Brady year in and year out, this opens up. Pandora's box. AFC, the AFC could be one of the most entertaining conferences in a while. The NFC is so stacked, it's hard to predict. The AFC is just so wide open, you don't know which way it could go. But I know which way I'm going. When we come back, we're going to take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with a whole lot more. And, of course, we're talking about the New Orleans Saints and what they do with their 24th overall pick. Talk to our guy, Ross Jackson, all Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. We'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Back after this. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break up. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the game studios. And right now we go to the game hotline to talk to our guy, Ross Jackson, all, excuse me, Canal Street Chronicles and the Locked on Saints podcast. Old habits die hard, Ross. What is going on, my good brother? Hey, man, I do it all the time. Uh, many times when I start off my episodes of our show, I have to use the new Twitter handle, Ross Jackson Nola, and I end up always saying Ross Jackson ASC, and I have to go, well, oh, got to re-record that. <laughs> happens all, <laughs> all the time. Glad to be here with you, homie. Good to talk to you, man. Well, luckily, you get the chance to 
edit yourself on the. Hey, f- I, 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 we're live, pal. So I gotta, so I gotta make sure I don't say it. Next time, next time I do it, I'll keep it just for you. <laughs> but yeah, man, you know, we, we need to kind of start things off looking at the NFL draft. It's coming up next Thursday, and before we kind of get to your thoughts on the number twenty-four pick, where do you see them going? I think you need to start off with the big question everybody's wondering: Why doesn't? Why don't the Saints go LSU? I think it's an interesting thing, and it's an interesting conversation because the Saints have gone LSU in the Sean Payton era twice. They haven't done it in the first round, which I think is something that stands out. But they've gone LSU twice, most recently with Will Clapp, of course. Uh, and then when you take a look at some of these other teams around, like Clemson and Ole Miss and things like that, if you combine several different SEC colleges and ACC college or AAC colleges, then you end up with the same amount of selections <laughs> when it comes down to how often the Saints select them. So I don't think the Saints are anti-LSU or the Saints avoid LSU or anything like that. Though you could say that on the offensive side for a while under Les Miles, when Les Miles' offense run first offense while the Saints were sort of in the golden years of, I mean, they're still extremely productive through the air, but, you know, the golden years of their passing attack, 2011, those those types of seasons. And so I do think that there was maybe a little bit of an aversion to that offense just simply because of what the fit would have been with New Orleans. But even still, you've seen a lot of LSU talent come through New Orleans and Trayvon Durrell. Uh, you've seen it with uh, – he didn't get a, a, a real or realistic opportunity because of his injuries, but Ricky Jefferson. You can see it with uh, Cyril Grayson last year who was connected to LSU, Delvin Bro in the past. So even outside of the draft, there's not an aversion to LSU players – I just think that where those particular players were versus what the value was and where they were on the board at the time, I think that maybe the value at the pick didn't necessarily line up. And certainly there are a couple of instances in which it lined up after the fact. (laughs) So you can look back at it and go, they probably would have been much better off selecting this guy here or that guy there. Um, But in the moment, it probably just hasn't really fallen for the boards. Because you have to remember, too, that for the Saints, they try their best not to draft on need. And unfortunately, they're not always in that in that situation where they do have a big need that they do have to address. But there are a lot of times where they go by the board. And so the picks or nets are usually dictated simply by where they are versus what their board lines up to be. And at that point, you're looking for essentially like a one in 250, you know, 256 chance that you're going to end up with, a, or more than that because of what your draft pool is, that you're going to end up with a guy from a specific school. So I don't think they actively avoid. I just think that um, there hasn't been a big opportunity for them. But I do think that there's a huge opportunity this year, particularly with the style of offense that LSU played this year, with their defenses where the Saints have holes, and uh, just the amount of talent from LSU coming into this draft. And you know, Ross, like we can talk about what what they haven't been able to do in the past with the LSU guys, and just looking at what they've done in the past. I think there's something to be said about the fact that they like these guys from Ohio State in the in the Big Ten type of atmosphere. Could you see that being a? a and you know, you, all right, let me go, let me double back here. I'm going to get to that in a second. But when it comes to what you said just a minute ago about best player available, do you think this is one of those years where best player available could be the best situation for them? Yeah, I think so. And of course, best player available can still incorporate need, right? If the best, if you have two people with the same grade in terms of first round grades or anything like that, or, or a number grade, depending upon how the Saints utilize their board, then you utilize need to sort of differentiate between two or three people at the same grade. So need very much still plays a role. And sometimes need makes you weigh a player's grade a little bit higher 
just inherently. And so, you know, that's always going to play a role. But this year, it might be the best route for them to go because they don't have a lot of holes on the team. Certainly there's a lot of opportunity for them to add and bolster areas like linebacker, like secondary, like wide receiver, even offensive line. You know, there's a lot. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of conversation about drafting a future quarterback should one fall far enough. And so there's a lot of opportunity for them there. But with this sort of truncated and kind of odd pre-draft process, you might see the Saints be more willing to go best player available because it would be the safer pick for them when they haven't been able to see many players at all, maybe only a couple of players in person. All right, let's double back to what I was talking about earlier with the Ohio State guys because it's amazing, especially when you look at the last few years. Almost every draft has had a Ohio State guy. We can talk about Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on and on. Like, What is up with Sean Payton's obsession with guys from the Ohio State? <laughs> I think that uh, it just it really does come down to the style of ball. I mean, particularly you can look at these guys that are over. We'll start with the defensive side. You look at a guy like Marshawn Lattimore who played a variety of coverages at Ohio State, and that's one of the reasons why the Saints do like those Ohio State Buckeyes, I'd imagine, is because even with, you know, particularly with Dennis Allen in the building now, you have a defense that plays a lot of zone, you have a defense that plays a lot of, uh, a lot of man, but then you also have a lot of, you know, you have a defense that plays a lot of rip liz or inside out to where they're diagnosing sort of sitting back, playing in zone, watching route formations develop, and then based on the route concepts on the field, switch to man by their assignment. So one of them will play inside breaking routes, one will play outside breaking routes on either side of the field. And so that's a very challenging style of defense to play if you've never played that before. And so when you have somebody like a Marshawn Lattimore that you want to bring in and that can become an immediate, uh, that can become an immediate uh, impact starter for you on your defense the way that he did, having an exposure to that type of coverage is really helpful because it's just less you have to translate with the playbook and it makes him a little bit more of a plug-and-play guy. So you can look at that with those coverages. It's why you see the the the, uh, Mar- the Marshall Matamores, the Von Bells, those guys that played those coverages before. Michael Thomas is somebody that just should have been taken much earlier than he absolutely was in that draft. I can't remember how many wide receivers were selected in front of him, but a perfect example is the fact that Laquan Treadwell went above him. You know what I mean? And Laquan Treadwell went on to do pretty much nothing in the NFL. And that's not a shot at Laquan. It's just simply that that's how good Michael Thomas was, that for whatever reason he ended up getting passed over. And so when you look at it, when you look at that, it just simply came that he was a pro-ready guy, and the Saints are ready for a pro-ready guy to come in um, and compliment at that time. The idea would be to compliment Brandon Cooks. And so I think that it really just comes down to pro-readiness and, and system fit, honestly, when it comes to the, the attraction of the Ohio State guys. All right, if you were in that draft room next Thursday, or better yet, I'm saying draft room, I mean your your studio apartment, <laughs> and you're just there kind of in that virtual war room, what, how would you rank like the Saints' biggest needs, like 3-2-1? Uh, for me, I think starting off at, so with one being the, the greatest need, I'll start at three with it being the, the, the least on the list, uh, but not certainly not the least on the team, but for Three for me would probably be, uh, <laughs> I might as well continue the rhyme here and say secondary. Um, I would throw secondary in there because I think that the Saints do need some assistance there pretty quickly just in terms of insurance because, first of all, there's not a lot of depth on the on the outside corners at all, uh, you know, for the boundary corners or anything. And so I think that's a big part. And also you're, you've got a guy like Janoris Jenkins there who, Janoris Jenkins and Marshall Madden will make a pretty good tandem. However, Janoris Jenkins is probably not going to be on your team next year. Even with that extension, that was really more about spending years than actually keeping 
uh, Janoris Jenkins. It was more about just knocking his cap number down for 2020. And so with that being the case, he's likely not in the building in 2021, or if he is, then it's not going to be for very long. And so with that being the case, I would go for a successor there that can line up opposite Marshawn Lattimore long-term. You also have to look at the fact that Malcolm Jenkins is probably back in New Orleans for maybe a max of two years once his guaranteed money is up. And Marcus Williams is in a contract, you know, is in a contract year. So if I can go back to your, your mock draft, the idea of somebody like Grant Delpit would be fantastic because then you have somebody that can plug in immediately at either one of those positions because he can play in the box, but he can also be a deep safety for you as well. So that type of versatility is something that would be really attractive in a Grant Delpit, for instance. Um, number two for me, I would go probably, uh, I would probably go wide receiver here and, you know, wide receiver at one point would be my number one, uh, would be my number one need, but with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, it helps, but it doesn't alleviate the fact that you still need somebody at the future of the position. And of course, you look at the really successful years for Drew Brees in that Saints offense, particularly in terms of playoff production, and you're looking at five, six different viable targets. He hasn't had that yet, but he's very, very close at this point. And so adding another viable wide receiver would be a really good uh, step in the right direction in terms of creating a little bit more production from that offense come playoff time. And the number one for me is still at linebacker because you have Demario Davis, but behind Demario Davis, you, you kind of have a bunch of injured guys. Um, you know, Alex Anzalone and Kiko Alonso are really good and they're on when they're healthy, but unfortunately they're both coming off the season ending injuries. And this is multiple times that they've, that they've suffered, you know, sustainable injuries or, or, you know, large, uh, injuries, substantial, that's where the word substantial injuries over, uh, their careers. And then you look at some of the guys that are in the depth there. You have Craig Robertson, who's great, but then you have Caden Ellis and Chase Hansen, who are both also coming off of injuries and do have you know, a lot of potential and can serve, but to get an impact linebacker early in this draft or at any point in this draft, I think is a really big need for the Saints. And, Ross, I appreciate you for actually listening into the mock draft for that first half oh, hour course, yeah. of the 11 o'clock hour. And I think the big reason why I want to go in with Grant Delbin is because, for me, it's number three wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, fills that void. And the fact you've got a guy like Jared Cook, you've got three really mm-hmm. solid targets with him. I think that's that's why I put them number three. Number two, I'd go linebacker. i go number two because I think you could probably get a solid linebacker in day two or day three and maybe if you, if you wanted to go go another LSU route, Jacob Phillips could be a guy. Patrick Queen could fill that void, and then mm-hmm. it's then it's then it's secondary for me. And I think a guy like Grant Delpit fills a role and fills a void that Von Bell has left. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the other thing about uh, about Grant Delpit that's such a great point is that when you can play him down in the box. And because of the fact that you're talking about the Saints, who a lot of people will talk about base defense, base defense, but the fact of the matter is that for the Saints, most of the time their base defense is nickel. So you're talking about two linebackers on the field. You could go big nickel, but for the most part, you're talking about two linebackers on the field. And if you're going to do that, then to have a third safety like Grant Delpit that can also step in and play one of those nickel linebacker roles, it sort of affects your linebacker need just as well to have somebody that can play that effectively in the box from that sort of hybrid linebacker safety position. I'm not trying to pigeonhole him into a a place where he doesn't play, but simply because you have Malcolm Jenkins and you have Marcus Williams for this year, that doesn't mean that Grant Delpit doesn't see the field because he could serve in a lot of different roles to actually be effective across multiple positions, which is something the Saints love with their defenders in particular. And, you know, before I let you go, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Number 24 pick, where do you see the Saints going? Uh, it's a tough one because, you know, you have to kind of imagine the board here, but 
for me, I think one of my uh, ideal scenarios for me personally with linebacker being that that top need, um, I look at Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen. I would absolutely love for it to be Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen to me has the has the higher floor, which I think is very important in this draft. Uh, but I'm also totally fine with Kenneth Murray, and I actually have Kenneth Murray ranked above just simply because he has a higher ceiling. But of course. As a Saints fan and as an LSU fan, my exposure to Patrick Queen makes it perfectly comfortable for me with the idea of going with Patrick Queen, and he's somebody that I really like um, at that position. But it'll be interesting to see what they do because that, that's the thing about this team is that they're so solid in so many different areas. They can kind of go wherever they want in the first round and still have an extremely successful draft. Could they even trade back? I would love to see them trade back. I know that they haven't done it since 2007, but remember when they did it in 2006, they ended up with Roman Harper and Jari Evans. So that worked out pretty well for them when <laughs> they did that. Uh, but I would love to see them do it, and this is a great draft for it because those positions of need that we talked about, at least two of them at wide receiver and linebacker, are so deep in this class that it gives you an opportunity to trade back, stay high in the second round, grab an effective secondary player, and then still be able to address one of those other positions at really the meat of this draft, which is in that second, third, and fourth round. Ross, thanks. You thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week once we know what the Saints have done in the first two days. Maybe we'll kind of get your grade on what they've done so far and probably look at a little bit of day three as well. That sounds great, man. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Appreciate you having me on, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, that was Ross Jackson, part of Canal Street Chronicles. You can follow him on Twitter, Ross Jackson Nola. There we go. We're gonna we're gonna get this eventually. Hopefully by the time football season comes around the corner, I'll get Ross Jackson Canal Street Chronicles Locked on Saints podcast, and I'll get that all in one smooth motion. We'll be back after this. One last take in the show, and I have got a great one today. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And the block is hot, my friends. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. One last take for you on this Saturday morning, and I'm going to leave you with one I think we can all agree on. It's not quite a hot take, but I think it's an appropriate take to bring up during this time. And that is about Kevin Foote. Be on with RP3 tomorrow as part of our Facebook Live series called Sliding Into Home. And start Wednesdays. You can hear footnotes right here on 1037 The Game at 9 a.m. And I cannot wait for that. It is going to be absolutely amazing to have footnotes live here on 1037 The Game. And I was saying it right away when I found out the news. I actually was kind of got a little bit of advance notice about this right after Under the Dome ended. So basically, here's what I said. This is the biggest move since Hulk Hogan joined WCW. I could say LeBron James to the Heat. I could say Drew Brees to the Saints. But to me, I think you look at it with the man himself, Kevin Foote, a man who's been part of this industry for a long, long time. And then part of the enemy for a while. It's great to have him be part of this. A lot like it was to have Hogan join WCW back in the 90s. Whenever he joined up with that, people knew the Monday Night Wars 
which they weren't really called that at the time because they didn't have Money Nitro back then, but they knew the war was really starting to build up between WCW and the then at WWF. And not long after that, you had the New World Order, then the Monday Night Wars really started to heat up. I think now we see a lot of things changing in the sports media world here in the Acadiana area. And Hulk Hogan joining WCW is exactly what Kevin Foote is to joining 103.7 The Game. Acadiana Sports Station, we got the man to come over here and join a real winner. You heard me right. To join a winner, not just join a group that actually has some great talent all the way around, top to bottom, but to join a group that has a great signal, a great mobile app, and dare I say, a great overall roster of programming from morning to night, as opposed to what those other jabronis across the way have. Yes, you heard me right. They're jabronis over there. I'm not going to give you a mission by name because they ain't worth the time. They got rid of some great talent. But guess what? We got the best talent that, that sports talk can bring in Acadia, and that is Kevin Foote, an absolute legend. Can't wait to have him aboard a station that is definitely going to be championship material and under the dome is about to be over, son. That's my take. Kevin Foote, WCW, Hulk Hogan, 103.7 The Game, all those things, they do relate. But I appreciate everybody for listening into the program. Last week was a little bit weird, especially when I looked at the numbers, but I appreciate everybody for listening in. It feels like a new show entirely. The energy is there. I'm going to try and keep bringing that energy to you each and every week because, honestly, I am loving it like McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I'll be with you once again next week. A little bit more look at the NFL draft and what happened with the Saints. Maybe a couple other teams as well. I've got a lot of things kind of percolating through the mindset Maybe we'll get some really cool stuff going. But, man, oh, man, I am looking forward to being with you next week, just like I am every single week. Because it's always fun to kind of talk with you about sports for two hours each and every weekend. And, you know, being part of this station is always just really cool. And I, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this show, I'm blessed. Because I saw yesterday, SB Nation laid off about 9% of their workforce, furloughed them, I should say. And a lot of it had to do with the fact their union saved all, all their jobs, but very well could not be having a job after July 31st. It's a tough break for a lot of those guys. But I'm lucky, and I'm blessed each and every day to come here and do this show, to do this show every Saturday, and to be part of Bumper to Bumper Sports and Jordy Holtberg day in and day out. I may not admit it every single day, but you got to know, that's this is what I love to do. And if I stop doing it and can't necessarily find the future of my business is it might not be there. It might not be open for me. If all things said and done, this thing ends. And I'm talking about just my time here at Acadia sports station. That's why I hope it never ends. I hope it never ends. And I'm here with you in the words of Terry Funk forever, forever. I'm out of here guys. Have a great rest of your Saturday. We got Astros baseball, a classic re air of a phenomenal ball game coming up in just a few minutes. So take it easy, everybody. Talk to you next Saturday. Hey, Clavis, wake up. It's your door. Oh, yeah. Kick it.